The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Welcome to another episode of That's That's Odd. That's Odd. We're doing That's Odd. Uh, thank you for joining us. I am Johnny Towns, and I'm joined by uh, the master of ceremonies, Mr. Christopher Chavez. MCCC in the house. <laughs> DJ Chavez. How's it going, buddy? Going well, clearly I know uh, what hip music is and at the club. That's that's exactly what it sounds like. I was at the yeah. club last night, and you did a perfect <laughs> rendition of the song that played. Yeah, that's what I, that's my job. People don't know that my job is going to clubs and actually, uh, you know, following the music. <laughs> <laughs> the the DJ's just moving around, acting yeah. like he's doing stuff, and you're just like on mic making all the sounds. Yeah, but I'm doing a, a total Michael <laughs> Winslow from Police Academy. Uh, nice doing all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, last reference that I'm sure all the young people get. Uh, if not, they should look him up because he's amazing. He's an American treasure, and COVID better stay away from him. 2020 yes. better stay away from him. Yeah, we can't have nice things. We can't even have Rick Moranis. <laughs> you know, dude, without well, the poor guy getting punched in the we, face. Can we do that? Can we address this just for a second? Because that's odd. If you ask me, that's odd. So it's I almost agree. like an odd occurrence, uh, a current creep thing. But it's odd. Now that's odd. That's what we called it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So last week, Rick Moranis of Ghostbusters, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids fame. Yes. Minding his own business. 67-year-old man still living in, in, in New York City, minding his own business, literally just taking a walk. A dude walking in the opposite direction as he slowly approaches Moranis, straight punches the man. Knocks him down to the ground, but keeps going. Just walk, keeps walking like it was nothing. Like it was, it almost looked like it was a, a a staged thing. That's how just how unbelievably casual the entire confrontation looked. Yeah, it's and what's more wild to me because I just looked this up when you were talking because I wanted to make sure uh, they still haven't caught the guy who did it, but they got clear pictures of him. And yeah. and the reason that we know this is because. This happened on a sidewalk where there just so happened to be security camera, you know, on the on the street and sidewalk, so you could see it clear as day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. Well, he, he sucker punches them too. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty wild, uh, man. And this is also the same guy who the reason we didn't see Rick Moranis for a long time is because, uh, his wife had passed away. And he decided to retire from acting to take care of his kids and raise his kids. So he's a good dude. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. That's yeah. kinda, that's even worse. Now it makes me feel sad that this lonely old man is getting punched and knocked out for no reason. Yeah, I know. <laughs> for real. <laughs> and the dude's awesome. Oh, what man. the heck, dude? Yeah. Terrible, so terrible. Happened. Man. So um, 2020 uh, just continues to show why it just sucks. Dude, 2020 hasn't stopped. Yesterday, as of this recording, October 6th, we had the announcement that uh, 
legendary rock guitarist Eddie Van Halen succumbed to throat cancer. So we've lost an amazing, amazing just talent way, way too soon. Like the dude probably had a good, you know, 20, 30 years left in him in him had he been healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Just sucks. Basically, yeah, basically what we're saying is 2020, we're done with you. Yeah. Yeah, you suck 2020. Uh, unless you want to put yourself away. You got a lot of uh, uh like if you're expecting a present from Santa Claus, you got a lot of <laughs> you got a lot of work to do 2020. I like to th- I like to think of 2020 as Lucy and 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 old t- old time old man river old, old father time being Ricky Ricardo going 2020, you got some splendid to do. Yeah. Yeah, and but instead, 2020 is sitting there trying to make some sort of uh, like uh, thing on a conveyor belt, but it's doing a poor job of it. <laughs> like some sort of pastry. <laughs> exactly, dude. I don't even know. And we're in October, so there's only two more, well, three full months left, really. Yeah. Uh, God, God help us, man. Who knows what else is coming? But let's try to look on the bright side, Chris. It is, uh, it's, this is a great month for us in the spooky verse. Uh, this yes. is October, the month of the scary, the spooky, yes. the scary. Uh, so we got, ooh, yes. Uh, so we're going to, you know, we do have, hopefully, if I'm able to pull it off, <laughs> we do have something uh, hopefully coming. It's be a little special treat for all you awesome creepers out there. And uh, so maybe that's something to look forward to unless I drop the ball, which is a good chance that could happen. Uh, uh, I drop balls. Uh, the only the only balls I haven't dropped are well, you know where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, I know where you're going with that. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I we have a lot of really cool things planned. We've been we've been you know teasing and promoting Patreon coming, and uh, you and I and Carter kind of had a, a little side meeting on this last week. So that's actually got some some traction and more positivity coming forward. So I feel like. If we can't pull it off in the next month or so, 2021 is literally going to be when we can launch it. And the amount of new content coming is, is I mean, I got to tell you, if I was listening to my one of my favorite podcasts and they told me, you know, the only way to get all these new shows, not just extra stuff, not behind the scenes stuff, not this, but literal brand new shows was through Patreon at, at such a cheap, affordable rate, I'd be down. Yeah, yeah. I am with you. That is a great promotion there that you just did so for it's coming. us. It's, it's coming. It is on its way. We know we keep uh, threatening you, uh, you guys with it, but it is on its <laughs> threatening, way. I like that. Yeah. It's a threat. You better watch your back. We're coming for you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, watch out. Do, 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 do. Uh, yeah, but this is that's odd. This is uh, you know, the sister show, the the original sister show spun off from History Creeps in which Johnny and I bring a story each. That would be two stories. One story. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> two <laughs> stories. <laughs> um, and you told me that yours is is about. It's a, it's a very happy, uplifting story you've got today. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: it ends it ends well uh, with hope. Okay. So, but it, but it, but it's strap in, folks. This one is not the greatest at the beginning. Correct. Yes, there's a lot that happens here at the beginning. So let's go. Back in time to the year 1984. That's my time machine. Do not go over. What's the speed limit for the DeLorean? 84? 80, 85? 85? Or 88? Like that. 
Oh man, oh, I'm good losing lord. All. We should know this, dude. You and I I'm should losing, know this inside and out. I, I've seen that movie so many times. I'm losing all my nerd cred right now. At um, least for us, you're not supposed to go over 30 miles an hour, uh, or else you're not traveling in time. So if you go a perfect 30, yeah. you're traveling in time with the that's odd, folks. That's <laughs> yeah, which I'm sure everybody's just striving to do. So here we go. Uh, we're going go. back. We're going back to the year 1984 Ooh. to a little place called Tampa, Florida, Chris. Oh, this is a good year. 1984, Tampa, Florida. You're talking flamingos, sun, surf, pastel colors, George Michael. What else? Magnum P.I. Boom. <laughs> That's all I think is I Alf, Is Alf or, or Facts of Life still on TV? Is it in Tampa? Is it, uh, didn't the Golden Girls take place in Florida? Am I right? Miami, I think. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. Miami or like one of these little like Del Boca Vista type places. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. There's a lot happening in the 80s in, in Florida. Uh, Let's go. And by the way, uh, Golden Girls still holds up. Okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a, we're going to visit a lady uh, by the name of Lisa Nolan. And at this time in 1984, she was 17 years old. And she had a job working at a donut shop. That was a part-time job, obviously. Uh, finally, her shift was over. And Lisa hopped on her bike and rode and I put this in quotation marks, home. And the reason I put home in quotation marks is because it wasn't such a great place for for Lisa. Uh, She lived there with her grandmother and her uh, grandmother's boyfriend. However, the boyfriend of her grandmother was a man who had been molesting her since she was 14. So this Mm. is not a a good upbringing, obviously. Uh, She was in foster homes and all kinds of things, too. Uh, So I I couldn't really find, I'm sure it's somewhere, what actually was, like, uh, how she got in that situation, but it wasn't a fun one. Uh, as Lisa was pedaling, her thoughts actually turned to ending ending it all. Uh, when she you say pedaling, you're talking about the bike. She's not selling things on the side of the road. Correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, her thoughts turned to ending it all. Uh, you know, she couldn't take it anymore, so all this abuse, and she was even thinking about what to write on her suicide note. Oh, that's geez. that's how far he had gotten. As she was riding by a church, a hand grabbed her, and she could feel the cold end of a gun pressed against her. Ooh. This man, a stranger who she didn't get a good look at, took her to his car. She was forced to undress. She was tied up, and she was blindfolded. And he took her to his apartment where he molested her and raped her again and again and oh, again. Oh, God. And she said it was for hours, for hours. Oh, God, dude. That's, so let's, that's so just, horrible, man. Yeah, so just try to, I mean, I don't want anybody to imagine this, but just realize she was already, you know, in a terrible space mentally and and physically, too, really. Yeah. And then this happens on top of it. But here's the thing, though. Lisa decided right then and there that she was going to survive. So she started talking to the man. Uh, she would ask him questions and he got to where he would respond and he would ask her questions and they were sort of getting to know each other. It was kind of weird and strange in a way. Ooh, like Stockholm syndrome. A little bit, but she she knew what she was doing. Oh. So she would so she would tell him things like uh, she made sure to drop little things like she was the caretaker of a parent, 
which wasn't remotely true. So she was even making stuff up, trying to make him feel things for her. You know, a little, little bit of uh, you know, maybe he felt sorry for her or whatever. And as their conversations kept going, she even came out and said, you know, uh, if situations were, if situation was different, maybe I could be your girlfriend. And of course, this kind of throws him off a little bit. So she's trying to, she's doing what she can to survive. She's thinking to herself, what can I do? What can I say so that he doesn't kill me? He doesn't do something yes. worse. Uh, let me play into this. Correct. Yes. And once he actually seemed to be on board with the idea, she then made sure to mention that she needed to go home to take care of that sick parent, you know, and strangely enough, he agreed. Reverse Stockholm syndrome. It really is. At 4.30 a.m., she was with this guy for a little over 24 hours. So at 4.30 a.m. the next day. He clothed her. I mean, at least he had the decency to do that, I guess. Ugh. Yeah. And he blindfolded her again and dropped her means, off. Sorry, I, just, I don't mean to interrupt, but that means during this time where she was trying to, this entire time, she's just in this kind of vulnerable state until he decides, okay, sure, you can go do this and I will, I'll make sure you're decent now. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, now, like now he has a, a heart, you know, uh, and dropped her off. So he drops her off in her neighborhood around 4.30 a.m. She would go on to the police, who thankfully believed her. And she had a lot of information on this man, despite being blindfolded most of the time. Uh, She actually, when he was forcing her up to his apartment, she actually counted the number of steps it took for her to get up there. Uh, Ladies, ladies, honestly, not even ladies, anybody out there that ever finds themselves in a situation where they they don't know where they are, they're blindfolded. Do those things. Think of things like how many steps, how many lefts or rights you had to take. It's 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 you'll be surprised how many people, you know, are found because that's the information that they can give away. Yeah. And she even uh, he at one point he had her touch his face. So she tried to remember like how his face felt. Uh, like he had facial hair. She remembered that. Um, and she knew, and this was the important thing. She knew the one thing she did get a good look at when she was being kidnapped uh, was that he drove a red Dodge Magnum car uh, and it had red carpet inside because she could see that through like the bottom of the blindfold. She, she saw the red yeah. carpet in the car. This was key. This was very important. So, the so police, we had her like in the back seat, not like in the trunk. Uh, that's what it sounds like to me. Okay. Um, when he, ha- he has a gun on her the whole time, too. Uh, so the police set up surveillance, and they finally hit pay dirt. And soon, they have Bobby Joe Young in handcuffs. They would eventually realize that Bobby Joe Young was behind at least 10 murders of young women. Oh. Uh, they had been looking for this guy, and the, how they tied him together with those other murders uh, was a lot of little red fibers that came from the red carpet in the car. Ooh, and uh, he would he would eventually confess to a number of them. Uh, one of the sad things is a little sad side note though is as they were trying to find him, he actually was able to take two other people's lives. Apparently, oh good lord, yeah. So, um, but. Uh, he would receive the death penalty for this. He got, I 
forgot how many life sentences and then the death penalty on top of that. Uh, Lisa would go on to become a police officer who wanted to help others who had kind of been in the same tough situation she had been in. So she dedicated her life to helping others, pretty much. Um, but she would also go on to say that she actually vowed this, that she would be at his execution. She wanted to be the last thing that he saw to let him know that he didn't win. Right. Wow. Uh, so, well, let's fast forward to 2019. We're going to 2019. And this is the day. This is when Bobby Joe Young was to be executed. He's uh, walking to the room for his lethal injection. And guess who's in the front row? Yeah. Lisa. Lisa's there. Lisa. Big smile or scalp? Yeah. Either one. I don't know which one you would go with. You know, it's, it's kind of a kind of a a situation where I don't know which one you would do. Yeah, um, like, are you smiling? Are you are you smirking? Are you scowling? Are you just kind of like flipping him the bird, mouthing the words? You know, you deserve this. We got you. Ha ha! I told you. Well, here's the thing, though. Uh, he he refused to look at anybody. She said that when he there's actually a lot of interviews with her. And I, they're all very good. I highly suggest you find them. There, uh, I found a bunch on YouTube. But she, uh, she said that he refused to look at anybody. He actually went in there and he kept his eyes closed the entire time hmm. until his life was gone. He was uh, injected and he was gone. Oh, okay. But, but to, so he's out of the picture. But now, here's the thing that really stuck out to me as she's being interviewed by this one, uh, this one reporter in her police car. Uh, she made a she made a point to say this. She Lisa refuses to be labeled as a victim. She's not a victim. She's a survivor. Insert she Beyonce is. music right here. Yeah, please do. I'm a survivor. Well, oh, I can't sing anymore. We'll get. <laughs> she'll come after us. You can, yeah, you can only do uh, two seconds, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's, what that's it. <laughs> yeah, so that's the story of. Uh, of Lisa and how she overcame such horrible things and horrible circumstances. I mean, her life was already awful to start with. And then this was thrown on top of it. So as I was studying this and I, I was having kind of a rough day, I was like, man, I got to put some stuff in perspective here. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Right. You know? Like, and that, that, that does, it kind of checks you because you're like, Oh, okay. Put it into perspective. You and I were just talking before we started recording about how, I get out of work at a certain time. Today, I had a meeting scheduled where it was going to push it right to that time. Right. And it literally went over almost a full hour from when I leave. And to me, I was like, what the heck? I hate this. It's the, it's the worst thing to ever happen. And then you tell me this story. And I'm like, yeah, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we got to check ourselves. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh, but that, I mean, that's also a credit just to kind of the, the, the instinct of survival, that, that kind of human, that primal thing that happens where, you know, even though she was at a point where in her own mind, maybe her own survival wouldn't matter. Like she was almost close to taking her own life. Right. I mean, look what happened, right? She didn't do that. Instead, it's unfortunate she was kind of put in this situation, but it was a situation in which she had control over making sure she stopped this guy from doing anything else after this. She literally tricked him into letting her go, and that's the reason you know he's caught, he's 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 prosecuted, and he's put to death. Like no, this did not happen anymore because she decided 
I'm going to give it another day. I'm going to take another breath. I'm just going to, you know what I mean? Just kind of push through. And then even when she thought her back was against the wall, this was the end. Like this is it. She thought, no, I'm not going to let, cause she could have been think about that. She'd already been a victim for so long. She could have just been like, all right, I give up. Let him kill me. Yeah. She didn't. So yeah. And in, and in turn, she probably saved so many others. Exactly. exactly. It was obviously wasn't going to stop. So, uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's a very powerful moving story of, of survival and of overcoming things. And what's even more sad to me is that when he was, you know, doing those awful things to her, she kind of had experience in it already, uh, of, you know, of unwanted, uh, of unwanted sexual things happening to you. She already had experience in it. Basically and, had to close herself off or shut herself down. Yeah. Which is awful. I mean, which is purely awful, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so she, strangely, I think in a weird way, and I'm not saying this in a positive manner at all, but in a weird way, it kind of helped her Yeah. Uh, when it came to that. Um, but yeah, so thankfully, she decided she was going to be the brave person that she actually is. And uh, because of her, you know, lives were saved. Yeah. Not and just justice, try to survive to go home, but like to survive and make sure she got him. Yeah. And justice was brought in for so many other families. Wow. She's still alive today? Yes. Yep. Wow. Wow. That's intense, dude, because you know what that reminds me of? And that's that's actually going to be our next topic for They Would Have Got Away With It. But it reminds me of the Golden State Killer, watching that documentary and these women. And not just women, even the men, the husbands who had to experience these kinds of things vicariously. Uh, just, I don't know, man, The just the bravery they have, the strength they have to have dealt with it. And really decide, you know, it's not going to break me. I, I'm stronger yeah. than this. I'm going to move on. And I'm going to move on in, in, in a way that, you know, every breath I have is about ending that and stopping that from happening again. Yeah. And we and we can all claim that in dire situations that we were going to be brave and we were going to stand up and all this stuff. But I think in, until you're actually put in that situation, you don't really know what you'll do. Yeah. Or you'll, or you know, hopefully we're, hopefully most of us are not ever put in that situation as bad as the one she was in. But yeah, uh, you know, it's just, it just really shows the character she that she has. Yeah, no, that's um, that's a that's a that's actually a powerful story. Glad you shared that one today. All right, what you got? Oh well, mine. Oof, it's weird because mine has has to do with suicide as well. I mean, because yours was talking about the thoughts of suicide. Mine actually has to do with it. Um. You know, and again, you know, we always talk about this. We talk about mental health. We always talk about anytime this subject comes up on our show, we always want to tell people, you know, like if you've ever think of these things, you ever feel you're feeling these things, there's all kinds of outlets out there for you. So please definitely look into that. The National Suicide Hotline's there. They have things where you can text now just to talk to people. I mean, just open your mouth and say something to somebody that cares about you, you know, like just do whatever you can because... I mean, it's just not the way to do it. Uh, so for my story, I think what we're going to see here is we're going to look at suicide in terms of uh, the era and, and the surroundings of that time. So today I'm going to tell you about the suicide table of the Delta Saloon. Have you ever heard of this? No. All right. Well, for this tale, we're going back to the days of the Old West. Oh, yeehaw. 
Yes, sir. We're going back to 1869 Nevada. Well, it's actually between 1869 and like the almost closer to the 1900s. There's a, this period of time that a lot of stuff happened uh, with this suicide table. Hello, uh, Pilgrim. I'm John Wayne, Pilgrim. That's a perfect John Wayne. <laughs> That's the most. Oh, I was going to say that's a perfect Bill Cosby, but uh, <laughs> we can't use that anymore. Be bad. No, no, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will know what funny. you're saying. <laughs> uh, no, but we're going back to 1869, Nevada. This is a couple of decades after the gold rush. So, uh, any history buff that knows this kind of thing, you know, there was a time when they started finding gold on the West Coast and it was too developed. Exactly. We're talking about the old uh, prospector. Well, that's uh, right. They made their way. People from the East Coast, people from, you know, and when we when I say mid the Midwest or, you know, right then, that's even kind of the wild lands. We hadn't really pushed completely West yet. Some people had. We're starting to develop settlements. But when gold is found, forget it. It's in droves. We have these kind of like mass exodus happening of people from the East Coast to the West Coast doing their, you know, wanting to find fortune, wanting to find, you know, what's going to uh, set them for life. So what I'm talking about happens a couple of decades after that. So this has already happened. Now we have mines up and down the East Coast all over the place. Yeah, getting uh, trapped in, in, in boxes but never talking. I said East Coast, but I meant West Coast. Uh, you know, the mines up and down, uh, you know, West Coast, Mountain Time Zone, that area. Oh, mines. So we're talking. Oh, okay. Yes. I thought yes, you meant mimes, mines, those really no. creepy guys who, like, I can't get out of Could the you, box. All right. <laughs> so anyway, this is a couple decades after the gold rush. Still. The West was teeming with adventurers, businessmen, and miners looking to strike it rich. I mean, you mean even young people? Yeah. Matter of fact, that's not a joke. You would see teenagers that would leave home to try to go out there and strike some sort of fortune to bring back to their struggling families. Yeah. So there were modern uh, miners. This time. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but many of these fortune seekers uh, ended up settling in a little town called Virginia City, Nevada. The town was popular due to its wealth of silver mines and its central location between Denver and San Francisco. Apparently, that's kind of like this this route of moving back and forth. They'd move from Denver, Colorado, down into Arizona, and then make their way over to San Francisco, California. Uh, the town would end up. The town itself, Virginia City, would go down as one of the most important towns in mining history, aside from being home to the Delta Saloon. So before we get into the suicide table and the Delta Saloon, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson on why this town was so well known. It's called Virginia City, correct? Yes, sir. That's what always confused me because obviously I've definitely heard of this area or the city. But, you know, I'll, I remember when I was a kid and I first heard of the city, I was like, what, why is it out west? Virginia's over here. <laughs> I'll tell you as I when I started when I saw the first I, when I saw the name of this table and kind of the story behind it uh when I heard Virginia City immediately I thought Virginia immediately and then yeah. as soon as I I found out it was 1860s the wild west I was like oh, okay it's one of these little places out there uh okay so here we go among the citizens of Virginia City uh city were four men who would go on to become known as the Big 4 there were two miners, John McKay and James Fair. They would end up purchasing a failing mine owned by an outfit called Hale and Norcross for $16,600. So to put that in perspective, that would be $513,000 today. James Flood and William O'Brien were two San Francisco saloon keepers 
that were brought on as directors. So these guys, they knew each other from past dealings. Uh, you know, these two guys buy this mine. It's a failing mine. They say, we're going to make our fortune here. Let's bring in these two other business owners and see if they can't help us out uh, with the organization of all of this stuff. So these guys were brought in from San Francisco as directors. Uh, James Fair took on the duties of superintendent. And within two years, he increased the mine's production 10 times over. So you, it's fair to say that this guy literally had a nose for mining because when he bought it, it was a failing mine. They couldn't. Do you know much about mining when it, when I when I talk about like when? Because I'm going to get into stuff like ore or ore bodies, mass tables, things like that. I know what ore is. Okay, yeah. So when you're mining, right, you're you're looking for these kind of imagine in your head underground like. Uh, almost like a vein system, veins of of gold and silver that kind of spread out, and they spread out from main tables. These huge masses of of deposits where these things are. So if a miner starts mining and then he hit a vein, they do their best to follow that vein back to this mass. Okay, gotcha. Uh, and this place was failing, except when James Fair took it over. Within two years. 10 times he 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 increases their production. So by the end of 1871, he had exhausted the ore body. There was nothing else they could pull from it. Um so in 1872, the big four would end up looking for more more, you know, more land. Where else can we mine? They ended up purchasing a a mining company called the Consolidated Virginia Mine. They bought it for the amount of $50,000, which today is $1.5 million. So after two years, again, I don't know what it is with this guy in two years, but another two years at this new mine, you know, and they're for two years now, they're following these ore lines with very little results. It really seems like it's drying up. Now, most miners would literally have given up within months or even up to a year. They probably would have given it a year and said, listen, I'm wasting a year's time. I need to make money. Let's move on. These guys said, we're going to stick it out. And boy, were they lucky. They ended up striking an ore body that would become known as the Big Bonanza. It's literally in history books that this happened. The ore body would end up producing an excess of $135 million worth of silver. It's called Today, the, that's... It's called the Big Bonanza? Is that where they got the TV the, show from? The, I got to tell you, I'm not sure exactly, but no, well, actually, the, the term bonanza, I believe, is a Mexican term that talks about, it's, it's about like this uh, increased wealth or this abundance of wealth. So, you know, $135 million to us right now is is, is amazing, right? But equate it to today's money, you're talking $4.2 billion. So yeah. I'm just giving you kind of an idea of what's happening in this town, why this town became booming immediately. The big four were set for the rest of their lives. So this is also kind of cool, too. This is, this is what happened to those four guys. William O'Brien would end up moving back to San Francisco and spend time playing cards in saloon. That's all he did. He's like, I have so much money. I'm just going to spend the rest of my life playing cards. James Flood returned to San Francisco to build a number of mansions. Sure, let's just build a whole bunch of houses because that's what I'm going to do with my money and sell them all off. James Fair would go on to become a U.S. senator from Nevada. So one of the main guys that purchases this thing and becomes a big deal is actually a U.S. senator in history. 
Uh, and then John McKay would end up laying the, here's another big piece. He would end up laying the first transatlantic and Pacific telegraph cable and establishing a transcontinental telegraph company that would rival Western Union. So these guys were big money, big timers. Uh, but that's Virginia City for you. Virginia City was this kind of like mecca of this is where you want to go if you're a miner. This is the this is the place you want to go in Nevada. It's it's it, you have a chance of striking it rich like the Big Four. So obviously, you know the town builds up. You're talking old West towns. Uh, you know now that you have a feel for this era, we're going to the saloon. You ready for this? Yes. Like many saloons of the Old West, this one was a popular watering hole as well as a hub for gambling. One of the popular card games at the time was called Faro, F-A-R-O. Have you heard of this game? No. Neither have I. Apparently, it was super popular. It was more popular than poker for a few years, and then uh, poker would end up overtaking it and becoming like the card game of choice between anybody or, or for anyone playing at these places. Um. Pharaoh itself, it's a special table that you use for Pharaoh. So if you if you look at if you look at a Pharaoh table, it looks like a big giant oval with kind of like an indentation for where the dealer sits, right? But on the table uh, is the entire run of spades. So from the ace all the way to the king, or if you want to talk about the other way, from two all the way to ace, it was nothing but spades across the table. So back in those days, they would. Typically, they would tape them down or or use some sort of adhesive to hold them down on the table, each of these cards. And this is the way the game works. So these cards are considered like the num- the numbers, right? The, nu- the, the, the numerators. You're the gambler, Johnny. You sit at the table and you put your poker chips or your, your money pieces on the cards that you're gambling are going to come up. And this is the way it works. So if you put your, your money on maybe the two of spades and the five of spades... Me, as the dealer, or what they call the, the, the banker, I'd pull two cards from, uh, uh, I'm sorry, three cards from a 52 deck. The first card, I burn it. You don't play with it. The second card, it goes on the right side of my little deck here, and that's the banker's card. That means if I flip this over and you have money on the number of the card that I flipped over, I get that money. So if you put it on the two and five and a two or five comes up, I get your money. Okay. Now, the third card that comes out goes on the left of that deck, and that's called the player card. If you put two or five on your cards on the table and it's a two or five that flips up, you double what you put down. Make sense? Yes. It's a very simple game. There's a lot of different kind of... uh, nuances that are extra to it you can like double the money a certain way and there's all these different things but this was a very popular game um and there was different ways that like the house could cheat using sleight of hand or doubling up certain cards in the stack and there was ways that 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 players cheated a lot of times they use sleight of hand to move their i read once a uh, one thing where they would use a horsehair because it's so thin and you couldn't see it and they would place the horsehair underneath their bet on a on a specific number of card and when that first card flipped over if it looked like it was going to the banker they would pull that horsehair slightly and move the 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 the, the bet to a different card <laughs> so the, yeah so there's different ways to cheat at this thing so this table one of these types of tables they had at the delta saloon and it would become known as the suicide table it would be feared by many because they thought it was cursed and the reason they thought it was cursed because there were so many different 
untimely fates that met three of the previous owners. So the first, the table that we're talking about specifically, known as the suicide table, first arrived in Virginia City with a man known as Black Jake. One evening in mid-1800s, Jake sat at the table watching his fortunes grow as he continued to bet and bet and decline as he played hand after hand. At some point, things took a turn for the worse, and with every losing hand, the amount of money he owed, the bank continued to grow. As the evening drew to a close, Jake realized he was now $70,000 in the hole. So again, remember what we're talking about in terms of money. Like when those guys bought something for $50,000 back in the day, it's in these days you're talking 500,000. So at 70,000, it's it's probably what? 700, dollars Can you imagine losing $800,000 in one night? I couldn't even imagine having that much to lose in the first place. Right? Uh yeah, it was too much for him to take. So the story is uh, he stood up, took a swig of his drink, pulled out a revolver, and shot himself dead, and he falls over that table. Same table, years later, a second owner would meet a premature demise. So the name of this owner has been lost to history. There's no actual record of the guy's name or the exact dates that he owned it. But from everything I found, I found all different kinds of articles and and website posts about it. have you ever seen that website about it's it's like Road Trip America and it tells you all these little things you should check out? Uh, this is on there as well, saying if you go to Virginia City to check this out, and they tell the story of this guy as well, no name with no year. Uh, but the, the story goes that he ran the table only for one night. This guy owned the, this table and decided we're going to run this this card game, and he was only able to do it in one night because, like Black Jake, his fortunes were looking good at first. Until at some point, things took a turn. When it turned out he couldn't pay the enormous debt he had accrued, he took his own life. Though there are some stories that say it wasn't him, it was the you know the other people that he owed money to. Because I'm, I'm assuming from what I read so far that if he's running the table, he was the banker. He's the guy that's trying to make the house money, and he just was not doing well. And these players were winning money, and he didn't have the money to pay them. So it was one of two things. He either took his life... Which is the the popular you know belief, or one of them decided to uh, exact their own justice. So they decided, you know what, this table, there's something going on with this table. Let's store it away, and they did. It was stored away for a few years. Uh, no one would deal on it. it. It sat actually, it sat for a minute, and no one would play on it. So they said, you know, it's taking up space. Let's store it away. So as the story goes, um, one day they decided they're going to pull it out and convert it so that they could play 21. Blackjack was an up-and-coming card game. It was it was super popular. People were into it. So sometime in the eight, uh, late 1890s, they pulled out this table again and repurposed it to play Blackjack. Now, that game I do uh, know. There you go. Uh, the black reputation of this, this table, though, did not go away because one stormy night... A miner who had been clean, uh, cleaned out in some other gambling house stumbled in half drunk. So this guy had already been out, you know, at one of these saloons, betting, 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 getting nothing but bad hands, saying, you know, screw this. I'm going over. I'm going somewhere else. So he's drunk. He's stumbling in. They have a 21 table. And he's and to him, he's like, I can do this. 21 is an easy game. So as the story goes, he sits down. They, they deal his hand. 
he puts down a gold ring immediately. No one knows where he got it. You know, obviously this guy doesn't look like he should have owned it. He may have won it somewhere. Maybe there was a dead body he pulled it off of. Who knows? But he throws down this gold ring against a $5 piece, and he ends up winning. And for him, he's like, well, here we go. This is my lucky table. So he starts playing, and he's playing all night, hand after hand, and he's starting to stack up that money, and then he's starting to lose some, and then he stacks some more, and then he loses some, and then he loses some more, and then he loses some more, and he just keeps losing. By morning, he had originally won 86000 in cash, a team of horses, and interest in a gold mine. Like, during this time he's betting, somebody he was betting against said, I'm going to put in my horses. You can have them. And he won. Somebody said, listen, you can have a, part, a piece of my gold mine. And he won. Could you, could you ever imagine... Maybe it's just because we're not wired that way, or I'm not wired that way. I couldn't remotely imagine, like, if something I own that was worth a lot of money, I would ever put up in a bet. Yeah, exactly. So here's the thing. This guy that's winning by morning, this isn't the guy you need to worry about. The guy you got to worry about is the guy who owned the table who was running against this drunkard who came in and all of a sudden hit this luck, this stream of luck. Because it was the the card t- the table's owner who put up his horses and his gold mine, and when this drunkard who had come in looking like, you know, he may lose everything, ended up by morning having eighty six thousand in cash again. In those times, now you're talk you're you're talking close to a million dollars, a team of horses, which to them again, how much does that cost? And part of a gold mine, the owner of the table couldn't take it, and took his own life. So there were three suicides attributed to this table. The table ended up getting the name the Suicide Table of the Delta Saloon. And Johnny, you would think the story ends there. What if I told you the Suicide Table of Delta Saloon made headlines in 2019? Well. This is legit uh, news. This came from uh, Channel 2 News from so you're Nevada. Telling me, so before you jump into this, you're telling me <laughs> that, that they didn't just destroy this table? <laughs> no, no. This table actually stick around for a long time. And as, you know, as we start moving into you know, the industrial age, we start moving into the future. You know, the, a lot of these old towns and these saloons in the West – what became part of their income and became part of like the 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 charm of them was that it was a tie to the old days. So if you go out west, you'll find a lot of towns that still look like they did when it was the old west days because that's the draw to come here and and walk into a saloon and know that this is the way it looked back in those days. So the Delta Saloon actually held on to this table. It had become so well known at that time that they thought we got to have this if anything as a tourist attraction. 2019 this table makes more headlines. Not just the table, the saloon itself. So let me ask you something. You're keeping this table and what you're about to hear Tell me, tell me there's no bad luck or curse on this table. I'm going to read you literally the the article. This is Channel 2 News uh, from Nevada. The status and story of the suicide table. The famous suicide table in Virginia City was sitting in the Delta Saloon Monday morning. And when I say Monday morning, this we're talking March 13th, 2019 was a Wednesday. So March 11th. Right. So the famous suicide table in Virginia City was sitting in the Delta Saloon Monday during an explosion 
inside the saloon. Explosion. The saloon exploded. The tourist attraction only had very damage from the dust. So the table survived. So listen to this. (laughs) The Delta Saloon literally exploded. And one of the few surviving pieces in that thing with only minor dust damage is the suicide table. Why did the why was there an explosion in the first place? So let's see. It says, quote, we actually had professional movers come and they carried it right across the street. Events marketing director for Delta and Bonanza Saloons, which is where the new, it, it currently resides. So if you want to go see this table, you're going to have to go to Virginia City, Nevada and go to the Bonanza Saloon now. Uh, the suicide table first came to Virginia City in the 1860s, got its name from a series of events in the late 1800s. So I already told you all those stories. Uh, now, more than 100 years later, and restored to its original game, so they restored it back to a pharaoh table. Table is one of the most popular attractions in Virginia City. So much so, it's on one of the welcome signs as you drive into town from Geiger Summit. Uh, he, so this guy, Raimondo, says, on days where we have hundreds of people, you get hundreds of people through the doors who want to see the infamous suicide table. I worked at Delta, Virginia City resident Pam Sullivan says, and so I know people come from all over the world to see it. So uh, that's the weird thing. Like nobody, it's it's like this thing dealt, you, you had this thing back in the day where the owners were all committing suicide because they were losing money and then it was put away. It was restored back to the old school Pharaoh, you know, and it's here for years and years and years. And then out of nowhere, there's an explosion. So yeah, actually from what I saw so far there, at least from the, the articles I saw during this time, there was no, no known reason for the explosion. They actually were doing investigations on it and I actually didn't follow up on it. So I'm sure they found out a reason. It could have been something nonsense, but it's just for me it's a weird it's it's super odd that you have this thing back in those days that had this idea of a curse tied to it and right. then you bring it to 2019 literal modern days and the saloon in which it was it was held explodes and there's not a scratch on the thing just a little bit of dust maybe it cannot be destroyed so <laughs> I say keep an eye on the Bonanza Saloon. And if you're out there in Virginia City, jump in, take a look, and bust out because you don't want to stick around. You never know what's going to happen. But that Save, my save friend, me, Michael Landon. Save me. <laughs> it was Michael Landon, wasn't it? Yeah, he was in that. Oh, yeah. man. But that, my friend, is the story of the suicide table of the Delta Saloon. And not just that. I also thought it was kind of cool just to think about how important Virginia City itself was to American history. Like think about, you know, they literally have the thing called the big bonanza because of it. Uh, we had a U.S. Senator that, that was a part of that entire, you know, escapade that is it's, it's to me, it's, it's kind of cool that it has this place. And then there's this odd piece that no one really can explain or look at all the yeah. way up until 2019. And don't forget how important a bonanza is to burning maps because they burn a map every episode. <laughs> there you go man there's the there's the story of the suicide table of the delta saloon nice i love i love the old west that's one of my favorite time periods to to me too and there's so much so many stories out there that we really have we have like a a, a, it's there's a it's a plethora of things to pull from oh nice word nice word pull yeah you know what I, I, i try 
I try. Well, I'm I'm very proud of you. <laughs> for what it's worth. Well, that's I believe that's it for for this episode, unless you got anything else, Chris. Uh Aside from the fact, again, I just kind of want to reiterate, you know, we did touch on suicides and things like that. So, you know, yes. again, if there, if anybody out there ever feels that they just kind of need somebody or they feel like maybe you're at a point where, you know, you're, you're hopeless and there's nothing else. Trust me, there, there's more. You can reach out and, and, and please do so. Yeah. Mental health, I know for, for all of us here at, at History Creeps is very important. Uh, yeah. It's a big issue. and. Um, I just want to echo what Chris is saying there that, you know, there's, there's help somewhere. Uh, there's other yeah. ways. Yeah. There's um, definitely nothing odd about saying you need help. So yeah, very, very true. Very true. All right. Well, uh, on that note, I think it's time for us to, uh, get on our horses and ride out to the sunset. Chris, what do you think? <laughs> I guess Chris has played a part of the horse. <laughs> That's me riding off into the sunset. That was the most impressive. Let me see if I can do it. I can do a good horse. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like Mario getting a horse. I have been playing a lot of Mario lately. Maybe it's influencing me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm good, though, buddy. Thanks. There's there's my horse clopping off. Uh, thank you for joining us. We very much appreciate it. Stay tuned. We have more stuff coming on this very same channel here where you get this i'm sure this is sounding not like i'm meandering at all <laughs> thank you for joining us we very much appreciate it for christopher thomas i'm johnny townsend and we invite you as always to just stay I- <laughs> <laughs>